Introduction I have always loved to eat mushrooms. Even as a child, I found mushrooms to be satisfying in some mysterious way that other foods simply were not. The flavor has a name now, umami, a word borrowed from the Japanese. The noun umami means good taste in Japanese, but in English it is generally understood as meaty savoriness, the flavor of the non-essential amino acid glutamate, as found in steak and cheese and MSG. My appreciation for mushrooms, especially wild mushrooms, might be in the blood. We have a family story about how my mother went into labor with me in a restaurant in Florence while eating tagliatelle with truffles, and the waiters had to clear off a couple of tables so she could lie down. My grandmother used to can honey mushrooms, using a technique I now know could have taken out the lot of us with botulism poisoning. Tender, rubbery discs seasoned with parsley and garlic that she added to braised rabbit dishes during the winter. And my parents were foragers, too. Our family didn't really participate in any sports. Unlike the middle-class kids I grew up with in suburban New York, we didn't ski or sail. We foraged. When we were on the beach, we gathered mussels and sea snails, sained for white bait, and collected blueberries. At our home in Westchester County, we collected watercress and dandelion greens, and I was still in elementary school when my parents taught me how to identify a morel. Likewise, they made sure I could identify the death cap, Amanita phylloides, and the destroying angels, A. bisporagira and A. verosa. Within 6 to 24 hours of consumption, Amanita induces severe vomiting, abdominal pain, and diarrhea, then jaundice, kidney failure, liver deterioration, and convulsions. Finally, in a matter of days, death. Just don't touch it, my mother would say. Don't even look at it, my father would rejoin. As a child, it seemed magical to me the way mushrooms suddenly appeared where they were not the day before. And indeed, in hunting them with my family, I felt like finding mushrooms was a kind of conjuring. If I concentrated hard enough, If I longed to find one deeply enough, the mushroom would reveal itself to me. But then I grew up and moved to New York City, and, except for preferring dishes on menus that included mushrooms, I didn't really think about them for 20 years. That is, until my husband Kevin and I bought a cabin in Colorado, and I met a gal named Peggy Lindsay. Peggy was, at the time, the masseuse at the Ure Hot Springs, She was also a regional arm-wrestling champ. We conversed during the pummeling she gave me, she energetic and friendly, and me responding between grunts through the face hole in the massage table. She told me about the mushrooms she had found in the nearby Uncompagre Plateau, the chanterelles and porcini that, when circumstances were right, came up in abundance. I didn't have many friends in Colorado at the time, and when she invited me to join her on a mushroom hunt, I was motivated not only by my love of eating mushrooms, but also by my need for company. We drove along rutted roads past miles of aspen trees quaking and quivering in the sun until we reached a deep pine forest, cool and quiet as a graveyard. There were not a lot of mushrooms up that day, but Peggy showed me a small patch of bright orange chanterelles littered among the pine needles and pointed out one porcini, a Boletus edulis growing on the periphery of an open grassy clearing in the woods. 
If I had seen those chanterelles in a market basket, I would never have felt confident identifying them in the wild. But observing them growing in their habitat was a different story. All their minute variations, some were stumpy, others open like a flower, which can never be fully conveyed in a single or even a few illustrations, reveal a sort of cohesiveness in form and color. It was more like recognizing family resemblances. We found about two pounds of chanterelles that day, and once home we sautéed them with butter.